Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I've got a great hour, a continuation of Guy Talk. It's going to be the first 30 minutes of this hour. And then in the second half hour, Dr. Marcus Bachman will be joining me. We're going to talk about suffering with him. So I'm looking forward to uh, the whole hour. And thank you for joining uh, us today. It's always nice to have you tuning in and listening. If you have a question that's been bugging you for a while, you can always send it over via text and we will do our very best to answer it for you. 877-933-2484. If you are just uh, starting your uh, ride home, you're going to have a great uh, commute because we're going to have some lively discussion with my power panel, which is Jeff Verdorn, Tom Parrish, Peter Kapsner. Right before we went to break, we were talking about tattoos and piercings. I think we got some more to talk about that. Is that not right, gentlemen? Yeah, real quick, we were just talking about kind of the pagan practice, and I think, and I was trying to make the point that the the pagans, it was common for them to pierce and mar and mark their bodies, and that's what God was basically saying, Israel, I want you to be separated out from the world and not follow the pagan practices of the world. So I think that's why God gave Israel that command. Uh, But as I also said at the beginning, I think that, that, uh, you know, if you have a tattoo or if you got one as a believer, remember, we get to heaven through faith and faith alone. So yes, um, yes, yeah, yeah. And Leviticus is a is a tricky book to try to understand because it has two different um, tenses or ways uh, of writing that are going on in it. Uh, some of them are written in the Hebrew as temporary injunctions or restrictions or things that they should or shouldn't do, and then some of them are are more universal. Um, when you th- see things like love your neighbor as yourself or love the Lord your God. And you can even see some of that in the Hebrew language. You can tell which one it is. And so a lot of these things that we read about in Leviticus, people will say, gosh, should we still do that uh, today? And uh, a lot of the practices that we that we read were really in mind. We just have to keep in mind the Israelites were coming out of a very long season uh, of Egypt where Pharaoh had crushed their identity as a people by driving out and killing all of the male children because the male children were the ones who were to remember the past on behalf of the people. That was part of their role in the community, especially the the oldest male children. So they had gone through generations where they didn't hardly even remember that they were the people of God anymore. And so to your point, Jeff, they were at great risk after the Red Sea parting coming to the other side of starting to just blend in with cultures around them, assuming that that's how they should now practice, that they've been free from Egypt. And so God makes a lot of restrictions that helps them establish uh, temporarily their identity again. And, and so it really, it's an identity question more than it is a practice question. Hmm. I know during the during the break a little bit there, Parrish, you were saying some things just about identity in general, and I, I think that speaks into where we are today. Well, I've talked to so many young people with tattoos, and I always, I never criticize them. I, I asked them, that's an interesting tattoo. Why did you get that? And not long ago, my wife and I were at a restaurant, and I get great waiter service when they have tattoos because I'll ask them about it and they keep coming back with more pop because they want to talk more. But this woman had a rose and I said, why did you get the rose? And she goes, well, I, I really want that to reflect my heart. And I think the failure of the church is this. The Bible is very clear on identity and purpose, who we are, 
in Jesus Christ and what we're called to do. And yet, guys, growing up in the church, I heard nothing about that. Nothing specific about, Tom, this is your identity. This is what you're here for. This is why you exist. And as a result, people are desperately searching for that. And I think the church could reclaim a lot of this culture if we get back to teaching that. And so the Lord's been pushing me to do a lot of writing on that very topic because I think it's so important. All right. Here's a question. Why does the Bible refer to Daniel as Daniel and not Belteshazzar? When in other instances, when a name change takes place, the changed name takes precedence. I think because the, well, because, God, well, I'll let you guys answer that. But when, <laughs> but Belteshazzar was a pagan name given to them. That's not like a name that the Lord gave somebody when the name changes and then the permanent, permanent right. change. Good insight. Yeah, see, I can be smart once in a while. That doesn't sound like anywhere near 80%. <laughs> <I could die. laughs> uh, why don't you guys pipe down and I'll keep talking then. <laughs> That's kind of a new bar we've kind of set here. In yeah. this guy Mr. Talk, 80% over here. Well, you look at the Bible, people in the Bible got renamed like, you know, uh, Peter and, you know, uh, and others under Saul, you know, became Paul for a purpose. And the purpose was to glorify the Lord and reflect the Lord's presence. You go to the Old Testament, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't pick out their Babylonian names. It was picked out for them. And you're right in saying that it really reflected the Babylonian gods. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't refer to them that way. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm trying to think if, if Jacob's name was changed to Israel, but I believe they reference the name Jacob uh, after his name change as well in several places, yes. if I'm recalling. I can't remember if Saul, who became Paul, ever is referred to as Saul again anywhere. I don't think he is. And uh, I think Peter, but Peter is, Simon, is called Simon after he's renamed with Peter. So that that would be an interesting study to look up about why sometimes the new name and maybe sometimes the old name is used in particular instances across Scripture. Well, after G- after Peter denied him three times and Jesus confronted him, Jesus referred to him by his old name. He did. And I wonder if that wasn't yeah. a humbling little experience for him. Whoa. He did. So Good I can point. just quickly on that. I, I once had an opportunity to study with a, a Jewish rabbi who was commenting on this in the Old Testament and that name is so representative of their function or of what their role is or what they're doing. And and so when you like the name Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. And so we see these names in the biblical text as representative of also what they end up doing in the biblical text or how they carry themselves. And so he was making the comment with Jacob that um, sometimes we see him as Israel and sometimes we see him as Jacob. And it really depends on what's going on in the story uh, in terms of going back and forth. And some of that might have been at play with the Peter Cephas language as well, is that Mm. they're trying to live into a new name that they've been given related to a function, but they get torn back into their old self in some of those ways. I thought it was a pretty interesting insight. I was really happy to hear that, Peter, until I found out as I was growing up what Thomas meant in the Bible, and it meant the twin (laughs) and the doubter. I'm not sure about it. Revelation says that we get new names in heaven. Did you know that? So we all have a new name in heaven, and we receive his name, actually, uh, as well. So we get new names in heaven. Yeah. Cool. Love that. I love that. So uh, here's another question. Is it true that the Muslim faith was started by Ishmael because of his jealousy towards Isaac? I have heard of this, and I find it interesting. Wow. Yeah, so I don't it know is. Go ahead. 
Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, I can just quit and then you guys jump in. I'll just, yeah, certainly people from the Islamic faith um, trace their heritage back to Abraham through the line of Ishmael. And so there, there's a clear connection there uh, in terms of just how people would understand their lineage and their heritage. But there's a lot more to that story, too. Yeah, there's a, there's a good thousand year gap there. Uh, as more before there was even Islam came along. Because that came along in 600 A.D., now they can trace it back and they can identify with it much different than what the Jews did, though, because their lineage came all the way from the Old Testament, from Moses, from that time in Egypt, all the way through to the New Testament. So, yes, I understand what they're saying and they can trace it back, but it's it's a tracing back that really is, forgive me, it's troubling. It doesn't have any kind of real historical basis to it that we understand. All right, let me ask another question. This comes out of Luke chapter 14, verse 33, and the question is, what does it mean that you cannot be a disciple without giving up everything you own? Tom. Well, I, I doubt, it sounds at first, you know, uh, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, the biggest problem I have, I go back to when I met my wife. Okay, I was dating a lot of different girls, and there were, there were several girls, and I know it's hard for you guys to believe that wanted to marry me, but yeah. there, were, there were girls back then. When I finally settled on Jan, I had to make a choice in my heart whether I was going to continue to let my heart drift back to those other women and fantasize about that, or if I was going to put my whole heart on her. And I think that's a lot of what this text is saying. When we come to Jesus, it's no longer that I'm here to make my million dollars. I'm here to get the big boat. I'm here to get the yacht. Now, you may wind up with that. It's between you and the Lord. But that's not your drive anymore. The drive of your life is to give everything to Jesus and to serve him and to follow him. And when you do that, then you're fulfilling what he's talking about here in the scriptures. I love that the fact that you went to your marriage, uh, Tom, because the the, line, the phrase that came into my head when I, when I read this verse is always forsaking all others, that line that you sometimes hear in your wedding vows, right? Yep. Forsaking yep. all others, now you are committing to one. And I that's how I see this verse, and you just described that. It's kind of like when, when the rich young ruler came and Jesus says, first go sell all your possessions. There is not a requirement to sell all of your possessions to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I think yeah. he was responding to the man's heart. And so this yeah. is a heart thing just as, as well. So mm. let me take a break. When I come back, I've got still a number of great questions. Boy, the, the questions that have, that have come in today have been so good. Thank you so much for saying, yep, I got a question. I'll text it over. I appreciate that very much. 877-933-2484. This is Guide Talk or Guys Who Talk. My power panel today is Jeff Verdorn, Tom Parrish, and Peter Kapsner. Thanks so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other faith radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day.
Welcome back to the show. It's Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. This is the extended version today. So do you guys think you sh- there should be a meat and cheese platter because we're going extra? <laughs> I think it's a great idea. Yeah? Yeah, but you're not getting one, just so you know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I understand. Yep. But thank you for taking the extra time. All right, here we go. Question. Uh, recently heard a sermon that stressed that in order for us to see miracles in our lives, we need to give up something. I guess, assuming we all have a certain sin we are hanging on to. Do you agree with this thought, or what does the Bible teach on this in conjunction with God granting miracles? Oh, man, I struggle with that one. That idea that, um, you know, you have something that's just standing in the way of God moving according to the things that you want to see happen. I just think we're in for a world of hurt if we approach God in this life and, and all of that. Uh, in this way. So I understand there's people that would teach that and promote that kind of thing. Sometimes they're among the most popular people that we might see on TV. But I basically, um, I think if you just fix your eyes on Jesus, because in theory, we're Christians, right, which means that we're followers of Jesus, which means that if we take a really good look at his life, um, we can probably have a, a pretty good idea of what we're signing up for if we decide to follow him. And There just isn't any evidence in his life that he wasn't anything other than a man who was well acquainted with sorrow, that there was a world full of suffering and pain. And yet in that, he was anchored in the midst of the suffering and pain in something different that allowed him to have joy and hope and love and laughter. Uh, I would imagine a twinkle in his eye with the children that he was with and all of those things. So I just, this whole business that gets uh, perpetrated in American culture in particular that we should be able to get the healings that we want or that we get the relationships that we want or get the material blessings that we want, all of that, it is a unique product to American culture. And I, and honestly, I think that is as idolatrous and, and straight from the pit of Hades as mm-hmm. anything that we can have in our culture. I agree with you. And I learned a long time ago that no matter how long I walk with the Lord, I'm still always in the way of Jesus in one form or another. It's not like I've got this purity moment and then he acts. He does what he's going to do because he's going to do it. And I've got a poster that uh, I wish I could have everybody see. It just has the name Jesus on it, but it's like a little formula. And then it's got a plus sign. And if you add anything to that plus sign along with the name of Jesus, you've missed the entire point. It is Jesus alone. He's going to do what he's going to do. My goal is always to listen to him and obey him. But my obedience doesn't always make him act. He's, he, look at all the miracles he performed in the New Testament. I didn't, I didn't see anybody that qualified for being healed. Mm-hmm. He just simply did it. You know, I think of a miracle is God supernaturally uh, injecting himself into this world. And yeah. I don't know how we could say that we are somehow responsible in having him uh, choose when and where and how he is going to act in this world like he does. So um, exactly. I agree with both of you guys. Absolutely. All right. Here's a uh, question that we talked about in the previous hour and it's come back and it and it's relative to King Saul. And the question is, was King Saul possessed by a demon? And the reason I ask is because Jeff said a believer couldn't be possessed. Hmm. Well, uh, since they invoked my name, I'll start. Remember, Saul was living prior to the cross, prior to the time where the Holy Spirit was sent upon a person, indwelling that person and sealing that person so they couldn't be indwelled. Saul was anointed with the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and anointed people. 
for a period of time or for a role, for a prophet or for a king or for even workers in the temple, the Holy Spirit would come on them uh, for a period of time. And and so when when God would take the Spirit away, maybe it was because they were done with their service or they weren't acting in in the in the right in the ways that God saw was good, and so He said, "Okay, you're done. Your your role as king is done, and I'm going to withdraw my spirit from you." It it never says that while Saul was tormented then by a demon, I don't think it ever says clearly that he was possessed by a demon. I don't know you guys, other guys, chime in, but I think he just lost the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and was not possessed by a demon, but tormented by a demon. Yeah, and I I agree with you. I mean, he knew Yahweh. He knew the one true God. He knew that he had been set apart to be king. The problem was Saul quit depending on the Lord, and he started depending on his own power and and his own stuff, and he let paranoia get in there. And, of course, we know how he felt about Mm -hmm. King David. But the thing of it was, you know, he sought out the witch of Endor. He sought out a medium to give him an answer that he wasn't getting from the Lord. So he basically said, since the Lord won't answer my prayer, I'm going to go find a witch who will because I want to know the answer. So he does, like so many people I counsel with, they open the door to that demonic realm. They open the door to the demons. Even though they're they're believers, they should never open that door. Don't open that door. Keep petitioning the Lord in prayer. Even if you don't get the answer, you still trust the Lord to give you the right answer, whether you hear him or not. Mm. Thank you for that answer, Tom Parrish. Speaking of Tom Parrish, um, do do you have only sons or do you have a daughter? I have three sons. That's what I thought. My three sons, yeah. Rob, Chip, and Ernie. Yeah. I think that you named him. Did I have that right? <laughs> pretty close. Okay, good. Yeah, pretty close. <laughs> um, so I will direct this question to Jeff Verdorn and Peter Kapsner because question I was uh, looking for. Did you have? Because I know you have daughters. Did you have a conversation or discussion for what you should look for? in a Christian man, qualities and characteristics. Have you had that conversation with them? Well, my daughter is married, so she's grown up and married, and she married a, a wonderful Christian man. But yes, I, in fact, I had many, many, many conversations. We always told her to be choosy, be very choosy on who you uh, decide to fall in love with and end up marrying. And, and yes, we had an expectation that, one, she would marry a, a Christian, that she's a believer, and God says, be equally yoked or don't be unequally yoked. In other words, marry a believer for what does light have in common with darkness? And uh, so, yeah, that was an, always an expectation. What about qualities and characteristics? Did yeah, you get I, specific with her? I don't know that. I th- I think our expectation when we said be choosy was you want to have someone who has a strong, mature you know, faith in, in the Lord and who trusts in the Lord. And um, I think generally speaking, yes, someone who is uh, you know, hardworking and, um, you know, honest and trustworthy and all those things, you know, that's who we are. That's what we modeled. That's what we tried to model with our kids. So, yes, I think that was an expectation in her. I don't ever remember doing, giving a list of things or characteristics, but uh, be choosy, find a believer, and, uh, you know, marry a guy just like her dad, I think is what I said <laughs> at one time. You know? There you go. I was buying it up to that <laughs> point. Okay. That's right. That qualifies it. Peter? Yeah, we probably haven't had a list of specific characteristics, but we do um, clearly. I mean, she, my daughters would know the kind of, of people that are at least worth um, being interested in and pursuing. And certainly as they have had uh, boyfriends along the way that we have open lines of communication and talk about them and the freedom to do so. And I, and I think 
I mean, a hundred percent with Jeff that the, the equally yoked thing is such an important part of this. The, the yoking or that picture in the biblical text is, is two um, oxen that are wearing the same yoke so they can go in the same direction together. And if they're not equally yoked, they end up tugging each other and ripping the whole thing apart. So mm-hmm. that, that is so important that uh, the other person would be a follower of Jesus as well. Um, I think the, the thing that we really invite our daughters and, and our sons to to think about is that you just need to pray about it because if you marry somebody or you decide to take that step based on how somebody is when they're 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, whatever characteristics they're exhibiting or 28, 29, 30 or 50 for that matter, um, if you base it on that, well, people change over the course of a lifetime. And so you have to pray and and be real clear that you're removing idolatry and fear and concern and, and wanting to be liked and maybe being intrigued or the romance. You just have to, to set all of that inside, uh, aside and really hear with clarity the voice of the shepherd in terms of how God is leading you and if this is the person that you're supposed to be with, uh, assuming that they are, you know, clearly you're going to be equally yoked. So I think that discernment piece is so important as part of this too. And we do talk about that a ton with our daughters. And by the way, finding good young men these days is not always the easiest thing. So I, I would happily, Jeff, we live in the same neck of the woods. Maybe we should hold like a suitor fest or something like that and just have people like bring a bunch of young men. We'll line them up and evaluate them. No, I, I have one young man. I'm sorry. My son is uh, just graduated from Liberty. He's single and he's a great guy. So, oh man, send him over. Can he come over tomorrow? We'll start. Back <laughs> I have an absolute true story. I'll be real quick. When my the couple were now at their house watching their kids, my son and daughter-in-law, when he was at Mankato State, dated a lot of girls, and they came to me one time and he said, "Let's go to lunch. What should I be looking for?" And I said, "Tim, why don't you come up with a list of what you think Jesus would want you to have." And so he, he, he made up a list right where we're there, got all done, and now we're joking. And I jokingly said to him, you're only missing two things on your list. And he got his pen out and he goes, okay, Dad, what is it? She's got to have a valid Minnesota hunting and fishing license. <laughs> now, as that sounds, he meets Kelly two weeks later, his wife for the last 25 years. Two weeks later, on the third date, he asked her if she has a valid license, and she pulls him out. Oh, that's so awesome. So he thinks she was the one. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's good. Good. Uh, appreciate the input. All right. We just have a minute left, so I'll just throw this out. This is out of Numbers 12, verse 3. It says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, if you were Moses, wouldn't you walk around telling people that? I would. <laughs> <laughs> seems seems like it'd be self-refuting refuting to say, I'm the most humble person that's ever lived. <laughs> uh, but, but he learned to keep it to himself. <laughs> I think I'd be a little tempted. Did you know I'm the most humble guy around? God on the said, face of the earth. God said, right? God said, I'm the most yeah. humble guy. Yeah, yeah, not to mention. Guys, thanks for an extended version. It's been great uh, having you here for the whole 90 minutes. Thank you very much. And I look Thank forward you, to uh, this next week, same time, same bat channel. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for the meat and cheese today, Bill. Appreciate you it. Bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or at least some store-bought cookies. Something. I'll get something. All right. Thanks so much. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Marcus Bachman is going to join us, and he is going to talk about suffering, and he knows a little bit about it right now, that you're going to hear what kind of suffering he's been going through. It's going to be helpful, and uh, I don't want you to miss it, so stay tuned. Be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today, and thanks to the guys for Guide Talk. A little bit of an extended version today, and it was uh, lively and fun, and I enjoyed it very much, so thank you. And uh, I was looking up the definition of suffering, and the definition says, the bearing of pain, inconvenience, or loss. Also, pain endured, distress, loss, or injury incurred. We're going to talk about today with Dr. Marcus Bachman. He's the president and founder of Counseling Care U.S. and a regular guest on the show. Hey, Marcus. Hey, it's good to hear your voice. Well, usually you're in studio, so I, I do appreciate the fact that uh, you've still come on the show, despite the fact you're having a little suffering right now. <laughs> you know, it's a uh, uh, toe amputation. Part of my foot had to be amputated, and I am lifting it up. And in a couple weeks, I'm going to be able to walk again. So I am looking forward to that. But yes, it, it does involve a little bit of of uh, physical suffering. Yeah. Yeah, because the definition is the bearing of pain. You're doing that. Inconvenience, you're certainly doing that. And then loss, and you lost uh, your big toe. So I, I did. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's everything in one uh, in, in the definition of suffering going on in your life right now. And yet you remain joyful and hopeful. And I, I see you weathering the storm beautifully, Marcus. So congratulations. Well, thank you. I I am very thankful. I think that we, we need to look at the uh, understanding of what suffering can do in our lives that is positive. And I think that uh, there's there's so much that we can see that God works in sometimes um, ways that maybe in our in our own desires and our own self, we would say, no. I don't think I'll choose that kind of suffering. I think I'd take a different road. But there's beauty in understanding when we hear God's voice, when we understand the purpose of suffering, and uh, we, we, we don't fight it. We, we, we receive the message that we uh, uh, can change our lives with suffering. Mm-hmm. There's that wonderful passage in Romans 8, and it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And, of course, that's eternity. However, that verse sometimes doesn't always feel the best when you're in the midst of suffering and pain. Ah, here we go with feelings again. My, I, <laughs> I knew you'd bust me on that. I know. As a counselor, I can't help but pick up that word. And I think we give a lot of credit, and there needs to be an understanding of, of course, in this world, we're human. We we don't want to lose a toe or anything else uh, with physical sufferings. But, you know, I, I, I think as an example, as we all have admired uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, yes. the, the example that she's been, uh, you know, back in 1978, has been a while uh, mm-hmm. She wrote a book on suffering, and she she wrote about the 16 reasons of how God can use suffering in our life. And she asked um, Elizabeth Elliot to write the uh, you know the uh, one of the endorsements. And Elizabeth Elliot just turned to Johnny and said, "You know, you 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 got some really good material here, <laughs> but it but it's technical, mm. and it crushed Johnny Erickson." And today, she said, after all these years, she says, I get it. 
I get it. It's not just 16 reasons. It's, wait a minute, will this suffering draw me closer to who Christ is in my life? Mm-hmm. She got it. She got it, but it took her years to figure it out. Yeah, so I think she, what she's been since 19 in a wheelchair, and uh, she's so has, has such limited movement. And I did have her on the show a number of times, and I have to say, Marcus, uh, she said at one point, she goes, when I die, she said, I hope I can go to heaven in my wheelchair. That way I can turn around and send it right to hell. <laughs> <laughs> They just love her honesty. Oh, know? she's the best. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we need to do is to be honest about her. Who hasn't suffered in some measure or another, physical, mental, emotional, psychological, you know, and, and suffering comes from um, sometimes we, we create our own suffering. I don't want to minimize the fact well, I know. that we have some responsibility, but there's a lot of suffering that we have really no control over or that happens to us innocently. Um, and that's worth understanding how, how to respond to that. It's, it's obvious if we are sinning, if we're, you know, overindulging and, and not having a healthy lifestyle, or, you know, if we're, if we're at the casino too often, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, we, we can, we, we create some of our own suffering and, and we know that or should know that. Yeah. But then there's, there's a whole list of other things that happen to us. We have nothing uh, to do with uh, as far as creating suffering. Mm-hmm. Dr. Marcus Bachman is my guest. He's the founder and president of CounselingCare.us. He is a, a counselor and a therapist and helps with people's marriages and uh, people's personal lives. Has been doing that for a long time. Um, so uh, when you think of suffering, I know there's some people that seem to be talking about their suffering all the time. And how helpful is it to be venting and expressing, and how helpful is it to maybe put it on the back burner sometimes and not talk about it? I, I think a good example of, of that is take a visit to a nursing home, and uh, you will see people in there continuously talking about how painful it is physically, emotionally, how lonely it is, and, and they talk about their suffering day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And then you see the next door neighbor that has a smile on his or her face and says, you know what? Today's a good day. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, if if I had the choice of which one of those I'd like to visit, (laughs) I'd like to really say uh, it's it's so much easier to visit the one that's not uh, spinning with, uh, with a negativity. But we have a choice in that. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not minimizing someone's pain when I say, um, you know, we, we all suffer and we all need to uh, take responsibility. And 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 even if it's unfair, uh, we we need to have a place to talk about that. I mean, I deal day in and day out with people who are suffering in some way. Um, but I but I have to say that my job as a counselor and as a good friend is to not only listen and understand their suffering, and to be there, I think there's a tremendous amount to be said about the community of believers that are there for each other in each other's suffering. Uh, but there's also there's also the other side of so what do we do with this? And um, not not to move it along too quickly because there's a balance in all that. Um, we need we need to 
experience and 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 share and talk about our suffering but then there's a time where we say so so what do we need to do with this and that that to me bill is 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 a real important question mm-hmm. marcus when we think of human suffering i i understand it that it exists because sin exists yes absolutely you know we we uh understand that there is an incredible unemployment uh, shortage in this country. And um, to be really direct with you, if we would um, not have abortion in this country, uh, we'd find that there would be people today, especially of the ages of 18 to 50, that would be employed during the time that so much abortion has taken place. Uh, There is suffering with uh, Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. There is suffering that we have. Um, we all pay a price. You know, it depends on who's in charge as an authority figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, they choose to embezzle money. It's going to cost all of us. Uh, so the list goes on and on, Bill, of, of um, harmful, un, uh, unfortunate suffering that takes place depending on one's sinful behavior. Mm-hmm. And then, Marcus, when you have discussions with people who may be outside of the faith and may be questioning God, when there's any suffering going on in the world, they're so quick to blame God for the suffering. Mm. And how could I want to follow this God if he's going to allow young children to get cancer and die and everything else? Yeah, isn't that isn't that the famous uh, approach toward uh, those that don't believe that uh, God is real, or if he is real, why would he do that, and why is he so mean? Uh, you know, and we have to look at, wait a minute, let me let me just understand the, if we um, watch the Passion of Christ, how Christ suffered. All right. And, 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 and the terrible un, un, um, unfairness of that. Isn't that the question we always ask? Well, it's just not fair. Yep, you're right. And Jesus... Jesus knows a whole lot about it's not un, it's not fair. Mm-hmm. And Mar- uh, he's our example. Yeah. And Marcus, doesn't God use suffering to train his children or to refine us or to test our faith? Uh, Bill, you are good at interviewing. These are great questions. I love it. Oh, good. The truth, <laughs> the truth is, of course, God uses it, you know, and, and we have a choice. Either we're going to get bitter, we're going to decide resentment. It's unfair what happened. I I, I I didn't have a choice in the fact that I was abused and as a child, and the list goes on and on. Uh, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, you know, in my life, I can look at what was unfair and what I suffered under unfair situations. But what have I gained? I, I identify, Bill, my ability to understand and to empathize with the people that come into my office, what a great privilege. I, in all honesty, I can't imagine um, a greater privilege than walking alongside someone who has uh, been or is in the journey of suffering. Uh, if I didn't go through some of my own suffering, I, I wouldn't have the ability to identify, to walk alongside, to care about them. I, I, I don't use the words 
I understand exactly what you're going through because I don't, but I can inside of me understand suffering in, in a general sense. And therefore I have compassion and someone who's listening to someone's suffering story and has a compassionate, empathetic, uh, kind response. What a difference that makes. What um, an ability to walk alongside and maybe even um, assist in their healing process because of our own suffering. Mm-hmm. Dr. Marcus Bachman is my guest. We're talking about suffering. I love this Proverbs, Marcus. It's out of chapter 19 at verse 3, and it says, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and mm-hmm. then they're angry at the Lord. <laughs> that is that is uh, uh, absolutely a true statement. I mean, isn't, I've yeah. It, I've seen it over and over. Uh, I used to work in a funeral home, and... Uh, I saw how people that had unfinished business in childhood, mm. uh, and, and it could very well be that their stories were accurate. But, you know, I always say if you, at least when I uh, ask the kids about uh, the Christmas story of 1978, they all had their own version of it, what happened. And I, I keep, keep looking at them thinking, I was there. That wasn't the Christmas I remember. But everyone's got their own history of how their perception is about their own suffering. And if they, if they lean toward, it's all about me. If they lean toward, this was not fair. And this wasn't the right way that I, that this should have happened to me. Uh, that uh, they're going to argue, they're going to be resentful. They're going to have a great deal of difficulty, um, seeing the whole picture. And, uh, being healed, it, it, it will stay with them. Um, and that's why um, at the time of someone's death, uh, they, they are just not ready to move on. And uh, they, they focus and stay stuck with their own suffering. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a lot of power uh, in suffering. Oh, but yeah. They're, 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 but it can go uh, one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Dr. Marcus Bachman is my guest. We're talking about suffering. If you have a question about suffering and you'd like to ask, uh, let me know what it is. I will ask on your behalf. 877-933-2484. It's a text line. So it's 877-933-2484. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Sure, hope you've had a good day. Thank you for spending time uh, with me. I love spending time with you. And my guest today is Dr. Marcus Bachman. We're talking about suffering. And we've covered some nice aspects of suffering. One other aspect, Marcus, I'd like to just bring up with you, because you're a man of God and a man of faith, is 
sometimes there is spiritual warfare, which can cause really great suffering in people's lives. And I think that's why God has equipped us so we can stand against the devil's tactics and attacks. Well, you know, there's a a tremendous amount of um, power that we do have. And, uh, you know, the enemy uh, can certainly start to uh, knock on our door Mm -hmm. when suffering happens. And he speaks to us in ways that says, you deserve this. You're, you're, You're the one that has caused this. Uh, anyone who uh, has heard the message of the enemy, we need to realize we are in a battle and we need to stand up and say, enough of that. I'm I'm not going to uh, engage in that negative self-talk. I am not going to allow the enemy to be my story. The story that I have is whether I suffer or not, I'm in God's hands. And if I'm in God's hands, he knows every single thing that's going to happen and is happening in my life. And there's purpose for it. Whether I, I eventually identify with others who are suffering and I become a minister to that person, or whether we understand that all things need to be poured out and given uh, into God's uh, hand so that we're not in charge. And there is a lot to be said about the, the battle of the enemy. But I think that we know um, the end of the chapter. We know that ultimately all of this, while we live in a temporary sinful world, is, is just that, mm-hmm. temporary. And that's very helpful for us to understand as we go into battle. Yeah. Marcus, do we occasionally use the word suffering incorrectly in our lives? Do you do you oh, have yeah. people that come into your office and they say, I'm really suffering right now? And you say, well, what's up? And you say, well, I want to get to bed by nine. And it's usually 10, 15 before I get to bed. I just feel like I'm really suffering not being able to get to bed by nine. Is that, a, know, good, I, is that a good illustration of suffering? Yeah, right. I think sometimes a trip to Haiti would just help out those people. Just Take one week and take a look <laughs> yeah. at what's going on in a third world country. You know, we, we have teenagers that we take to on a missionary trip to Haiti. And I will just say this, you know, that whole thing about not having enough uh, cell phone time or whatever, all of that stuff is, that's not suffering. Look, I don't even have enough, uh, as we see in a third world country, I don't have enough food to eat for the day. And I have to trust God. You talk about um, being able to have a wake-up call. And when, when listen, I go to Mayo and take care of my medical needs there. And I'm, I'm saying to myself, okay, this is just a toe and a part of a foot. Look at the next person that doesn't have legs. Mm-hmm. I, I think we have to put things into perspective and still understand it's okay if it's real suffering. Yeah, we, we need to have a platform within a a friendship or a counselor to be able to talk. Um, if it's suffering that we've created or we're just uh, whining about something, we need to put that into perspective. And a good friend will say, you know what? Sounds like you're whining about something here. Uh, you know, as, as, uh, as, as they say, I think these are rich people problems mm-hmm. if you look at it. Yeah. And yeah, so there's, there, there, there certainly can be. Um, too much attention on ourselves 
which will create um, unnecessary complaints and whining about suffering. Yeah, I'm not to diminish anybody's suffering, but there is also perspective building that's helpful for the body of Christ to come together and do. Yes. So I hope that's what we're doing. Yeah, and what a perspective here to have the body of Christ minister to each other. I've been very fortunate to have, uh, which I I didn't even know there was this ministry in our church, uh, a meal program, because I haven't been, I've got to be, I uh, have my foot elevated 55 minutes of every hour. So, you know, if I don't make a meal within five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble. Thank, thank, thank the Lord for microwaves. Yes. But anyway, it's great. You know, the body Christ has come uh, to my aid, and they've, they, I, I have a hard time, to be honest with you, to say I need help. I'm a guy. and But I have found even in this little very small uh, two-week episode of me being um, in in a health issue here with my foot. I have found the body of Christ wanting, desirous, and it brings them a sense of it's a good, good, good feeling mm-hmm. that they are able to help someone like uh, in, in my case, and and I needed to accept that, and yeah. and I'm appreciative. All right, I'm going to try to squeeze a couple of questions in from listeners with Dr. Marcus Bachman. Uh, here's one, and this is suffering. That's obviously uh, an ongoing thing for sure. Uh, my son is very angry at me. My ex-husband was having affairs. My ex-husband broke the family up when my son was a teenager, and his anger about the divorce is coming out on me. Why me and not his dad? That's well, some suffering. That's a classic illustration of, you know, why, why does... Uh... Why, why do we get angry with the person that we love? Well, we know the person that we love, we can trust that they are going to always be there for us. Um, it says a lot about the relationship in, in, a, in a deeper sense. Is it, is it fair that you're blamed? No, it's not fair. And, and you know, your, your response um, is, you know, I, I, is to empathize with that. Uh, son who has suffered and uh, but it's misplaced and there's an opportunity in conversations as a relationship grows to be able to say um, let me tell you what 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 took place and um, why I believe that you have some misplaced anger Mm -hmm. Um, that that would be a wonderful opportunity it may not come that son may not listen but in the meantime um, we we are to be patient and love back and remember why uh, someone in our family like that would be wanting to unload on you and blame you. There is a tremendous amount of trust underneath all of that that you're there for them. Mm-hmm. Dr. Marcus Bachman is my guest. Another question, Marcus, what is the best way to encourage someone who dwells on how bad things are in their life? They are a believer. Well, I think in a loving relationship, uh, we build trust. And I think that it's fair to say um, I I want to hear and understand, and I want to be here for you as a friend. And the conversation, I think, needs to have the opportunity to be said. But I also am seeing something in you um, that I want to share that I have a concern about. Would you be open for me to share that with you? Now, what's a person going to say to that, Bill? Yeah. I mean, a person could say, no, I, I don't want to hear it. Well, 
then there's something really much deeper about the conver- about the relationship that I'd say, oh, this doesn't sound like a very healthy relationship. It only sounds like a one-way deal. Mm-hmm. But typically, if you're asking for permission and that person, you know, as long as you've done your job of listening and understanding and being empathetic and being kind, well, for you to ask, may I share something that I'm seeing in your life and saying it in a way without incredible judgment, with a mercy, but still saying the truth in love. I really believe that um, that person has the opportunity to hear. Um, they, they may choose not to, yeah. but you've done your job in telling the truth in love. Yeah. You only have 30 seconds for this next question, but what is the best way to not allow ourselves to be brought down by someone who dwells on their problems? I don't want to lose myself, my life. If we oh, don't take care of ourselves, true. we are no good to others. That's right. I think it's really important to understand that person is not my source. I have to get fuel from another source. Reading God's Word, having close relationship with Christ, having fellowship with positive people. If we stay around too much of a dark cloud, we get rained on, yeah. and we need to be careful not to walk around being so wet. Yeah, good point. Marcus, thank you for taking uh, the time today with your foot up in the air. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome, Bill. Look forward to being so, in studio uh, next time. Yeah, have you been, been laying on the couch this whole time, or are you like in a barca lounger with your foot I, up? I, I, <laughs> I have everything imaginable. Okay, good. I have a <laughs> oh, good. I have pillows. Oh, good. All. Good. All right. All right. See you next time. Yep, Dr. Marcus Bachman has been my guest. You can learn more about him at counselingcare.us. Thank you for spending time with me today. I've loved being with you. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.